According to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, everyone has a right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of themselves and their family. This raises the question, why do so many people live on the streets sleeping tough? Homelessness is a complex issue that affects people living in cities across the world. In this episode, we'll be speaking with some changemakers who will share how 10 global cities are taking on homelessness and the innovations that are proven to work. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host for this episode, along with my fellow co-host LaShawn and two special guests. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Tamaru Mamo joined Bloomberg Associates in March 2014. Drawing on more than a decade of experience working for the New York City government, Tamaru is committed to helping cities tackle the many social and economic factors that affect the health of their most vulnerable residents. Currently, Tamaru helps clients address a broad array of issues such as street homelessness, disparities among boys and young men of color, and tobacco control. Linda Gibbs is a principal at Bloomberg Associates and served as the Deputy Mayor for Health and Human Services for New York City from 2005 to 2013, supervising the city's human service, public health, and social justice agencies. She spearheaded major initiatives on poverty alleviation, juvenile justice reform, and obesity reduction. Two of the collaborative efforts she has shaped to address significant social challenges are Age-Friendly NYC, a blueprint for enhancing the livability of older New Yorkers, and Young Men's Initiative, an initiative addressing race-based disparities facing Black and Latino young men in the areas of health, education, employment training, and the justice system. She also improved the use of data and technology in human service management, contract effectiveness, and evidence-based program development. During her tenure, New York City has been the only top 20 city in the U.S. whose poverty rate did not increase while the national average rose by 28%. Tamaru, Linda, welcome to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. Nice to see you both today. Thank you. So um, to start off, you both currently work for Bloomberg Associates. Can you share a bit about your ongoing work in the organization and in each of your specific roles? Sure. Bloomberg Associates is this really cool operation. Um, When Mike Bloomberg left City Hall, he wanted to um, gather all of the expertise of the managers who worked in various facets of his city government and put them together in a consulting group and then provide pro bono um, consulting advice to mayors around the world. Um, he realized while he was mayor of like how critically important that frontline task is, like nobody is as close to the um, to the issues or the power to actually address the issues in an immediate way than mayors are. And so he really wanted to create a group that would be able to support mayors in achieving their greatest ambitions. And so we get to support mayors, you know, not only in cities here in the United States, but also internationally. And so um, each of our disciplines at Bloomberg Associates um, is focused on uh, our own individual area of expertise. As you heard from the introductions, Tamaru and I have worked long and hard on public health and social justice issues. And so when mayors are 
uh, keen to address those issues within their jurisdictions, we get deployed out to help them. And it's a, it's a real privilege. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And, uh, and, and I would say during our work uh, with, with Bloomberg Associates, homelessness is, is an area for which cities have requested support most often in, in our practice. And the, the, the co-authors, uh, all the co-authors knew each other from our time in New York City government, uh, Jay at Bainbridge and Muzzy Rosenblatt. They've, they've also collaborated with us at BA with our, our ongoing work to address homelessness with, uh, with, with several cities. And, and that's related to how this, uh, th this book came about. Awesome. So, you know, how did you each, you know, ultimately decide to commit your career to a public service? Uh, you know, did you stumble on this, you know, by accident? Was it something you've always been interested in? Or you did, did you have like an aha moment where you realized that was the, the path for you? For me, so I'll go, I, I guess we'll, we'll create the order here. I'll go first. Maybe uh, Tom or I'll try to switch off with you, but here I go. So for me, it's interesting. Um, when I went to, when I went to college, I, um, I had been applied and admitted as an art student. And so, you know, I got to the, um, to the studio and I loved it. I'm, I still, you know, have it as a hobby. Um, but I just found myself as I was taking other um, courses undergraduate to really be gravitating um, to the government and public interest related um, activities. And so by the time I graduated from college, I shifted over to political science and went on to law school to focus on state and local government law. Now, it's really interesting. I say that because, you know, on the one hand, it's been um, something I, you know, focused on in my education many, many years ago. Um, but the, the thing that I think has kept me in government is the really kind of the awesome responsibility of um, taking the authority and, um, and what power does exist at the municipal level where I have focused and realizing that you can do so much to improve people's lives, but it's really hard. And um, if you come at it from the perspective of really understanding that um, that systems are constantly like shifting and 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 altering, and that they can become worse and they can become better, but ultimately it takes a real reform-minded spirit in order to keep pushing um, toward that that positive trajectory of improvement in the public interest. And it just really, really excites me to see how um, the power of government can be made to improve people's lives. And so any opportunity that I've had, I'm sort of like a reformer from within, um, is any opportunity has been, um, to me, it's a, a great way to really dedicate your life to helping to, to make a better world for everybody. And so I'm a little bit of a, of a government junkie in that regard, um, but have always been so impressed with the people that we meet in cities that are devoted to, to this work and to achieving you know, their dreams. I, I didn't know... Uh, I wanted to work for the city until I, I left graduate school, and, and and frankly, I was looking for for different jobs, and and I knew someone in in the New York City Mayor's office, and and I started out in government, and uh, and it became clear to me that I that that I had a chance to be a practitioner, and I'd previously thought about uh, becoming an academic, and uh, and and this was much more appealing, and then from a public health perspective, I thought. Uh, this is the, the the best way to make a population level change, especially in a, in a city. In a large city, 
you could you could change policies and and, and practices and really have uh, an impact. And and I watched and participated, you know, in in several of those uh, initiatives w- with with people like uh, Tom Frieden and Linda and Mayor Bloomberg leading the way. So it, it was really an incredible experience, and it just became apparent to me that that I guess I'm an urbanist. I'd like working in cities, and I get to do it as my job, and and I'm passionate about it. Yeah, fantastic to hear. Um, so, like you mentioned, Tamru, you you and Linda and a couple of uh, other co-authors co-wrote a book, um, you know, titled "How Ten Global Cities Take on Homelessness." Can you kind of get into some detail about how the idea of this book came along? So, so like I said, Bloomberg Associates works with cities in the U.S. and, and across the globe, and uh, and and the topic of homelessness comes up a lot. So, so let me name the ten global cities in our book: Athens, Baltimore, Bogota, Edmonton, Houston, Los Angeles, Mexico City, Nashville, New York City, and Paris. So, so and they just happen to be cities that, in in one way or another, we ended up working with. And, uh, and, and we convened this group of city leaders working on homelessness in the summer of 2018. And we were all struck by the similarities and approaches to the problem, despite the individual, uh, the, the unique differences between the, the, the governments, the countries, the, the cultures, the social norms. But, but then we found so many commonalities between the cities as well that, that when we started delving into this work and, Linda did this thing where we, at the end of this convening, she just summarized all the commonalities. And, and, and the thing is, people said, you should write a book about our experiences. And so this is a book about our partner cities. This is a book about them. And that's how this book came about. That was the story. And it's really, it's really interesting because, you know, as, as Tamru said, each city um, has like incredible uniqueness and um, and difference from each other in language and culture and religion and you know the population composition and governmental bodies, and so it was um, really striking how much the cities were going through the exact same challenge. It's as if you um, as it related to dealing with a uh, um, with uh, tackling the issue of rough sleeping and overcoming street homelessness um, for folks who were who found their way there um, in each of their cities. And so the you know the commonalities um, uh, were just so um, you know what is it what is it, it there was there's there's issues of um, of course affordability of housing and access of ho- access to housing, but that's not true everywhere. And even in places where there is um, um, uh, uh, enough affordable housing to meet the need, um, there's still people on the streets. And the issues around the underlying um, system failures that really do let down the most vulnerable people, you know, people suffering from mental illness and substance addictions, people who are the victims of um, family violence, young people who were pushed out of their homes um, for lack of um, parents' understanding of their sexuality and their gender identification. And, um, and then just issues of people who are, you know, sort of just down on their luck 
for so long that it tests the ability of family and friends to continue to support them and they sort of just sort of get pushed out. Like that's just a universal story that cuts across every single um, society. And what was really exciting to this group of people, we actually, and it's interesting because they work really, really hard and, and they are just, you've got to be the most dedicated um, public servant to be willing to both take the heat that the public um, puts on you for not, how, how come you haven't solved street homelessness, right? And so people who will like continue to work um, in the public roles with that kind of pressure, um, do it because they have a real care and compassion and they want to solve this problem. And it was just so compelling when we brought them all together. And part of the reason we brought them together really was to acknowledge them and acknowledge the hard work and give them a little bit of a respite and give them a chance to talk to each other and learn from each other. And that's what really came out of this convening was this, this sense of connection, strong connection they had to each other and the belief that a um, continuing dialogue dialogue would allow them both to learn from each other and pull the best of what each of them was doing, um, but also just provide some peer support. You know, somebody else who knows exactly what it is they're going through and being able to just listen and help them to process what they are trying to um, tackle and solve. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that insight. And you know, homelessness, you know, that's what the book is focused on. Homelessness is a commonly used term. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be like a common, like agreed upon term globally for what homelessness actually means. So could you share a little bit about from how you define homelessness and, you know, how how big of a problem uh, is homelessness globally? I, I don't mind taking that one. I, so so I think that it, it's important to acknowledge as, as, as I hate the idea of one definition. And mm. because we have we have our own definition here and I could talk about that, but um, but 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 I actually want to share what everyone else does. In, in the U.S., the the homeless you're homeless if you live in a shelter or you sleep in a public space not meant for habitation. And Canada has something similar. And and um and then but but then if you look at places like Mexico City, where where you have informal settlements in the surrounding hills of the city with no electricity or sewage, and these are areas. Uh, that might be considered uninhabitable environments in the in the United States or Canada, but in Mexico City, this is tolerated as a form of startup housing, and and they would not be counted as as homeless. In fact, the government may come in at a later point and and formalize the settlements and and add sewage and electricity, and and so and, and even in places like Bogota, where you have uh, these recyclers, the recicladores, they're called. Who, they go out and they collect recyclables in these wooden carts with tarps and they sleep inside the carts. And, and we asked the city officials in, in Bogota what, how, how we define them. And, and, and then we agreed that we would just ask them about their housing status. And some of them said, I guess I'm homeless. And others said, I'm not homeless. I have a place right here. And, um, and, and so it, it, it really depends um, and then, you know, in other places in, in uh, you know, across Europe, homelessness is a matter of, of social exclusion I I as well. And that's a big, that's a big factor. And, and then one more thing. Um, so in, in, in Athens, for example, there are many immigrants sleeping on the street, but only Greek nationals are considered officially homeless. So there's lots of different types of, of definitions. And I don't want to say that there's a favorite definition or a best 
definition, just that it's different and it really depends on the, the values, the government, the capacity to address uh, this challenge and, uh, and, you know, and even, and even uh, you know, how countries and cities incorporate uh, human rights beliefs as well. Another kind of a, um, a vagary in the definition is also um, frequently referred to as the concept of housing insecure. And so under the Department of Education in the U.S., um, a child in school is considered homeless if they're living doubled up in somebody else's house and are not um, a member of a, an immediate family that holds the lease. And so the the how you define it does have... Um, some political weight because you're trying to make a statement about whether people have achieved that that vision of the kind of those the, what does the basic human right of being able to um, live and uh, you know have a house and have an adequate food and and um, and access to basic um, you know human dignity is does that include somebody who is you know couch surfing from one family's house to another because they can't afford their own house, right? And so there's, um, you know, the the definitions shift also for what you're trying to get at and what you're trying to describe around the greater society that people are living in. And and I, and I feel like I and I skipped over one part of the question as well. I apologize. And you asked a, a very good question about what's the magnitude on a on a global scale of of the problem. And the the truth is, it's it's hard to say. Because not all countries, not all places require counting or, or when they count, don't use necessarily the same methods. But we know, for example, in the United States, we have around you know, more than, than half a million people on one single night. If you go out and do a count, uh, uh, you know, living, uh, uh, you know, in shelter on the streets. And um, in Canada, I think it's around between 25 and, and 35,000 on a night. But you look... If, if you look beyond uh, one night and you actually look at how many, because people move in and out of housing over that year, there might be a couple hundred thousand uh, who, are, who experience homelessness in Canada over a year. So there's a temporal aspect and then there's the, you know, the, there's the point in time and then there's the fact that, that not all places count. So we, so we don't know that, that true number. So I could say something like, well, certainly hundreds of thousands, possibly millions, but we know one thing. Is it every play, every city we've we've gone to? It's it's been a problem. It's been a challenge, and um, and I don't think uh, anyone's uh, uh, you know adequately uh, addressed it. Yeah, and and I and I know some numbers that I came across were were from the UN and estimates up to 150 million people are homeless globally, which is such a you know it's such a crazy number. Like it's it's huge. And the fact that you mentioned, you know, we, we're just not certain because, you know, some cities may report it, some cities may collect data on it. It, it. There's just so much uncertainty behind it. But without a doubt, this is for sure a public health issue. And in public health, we always love thinking about, you know, some of the root causes of what drives homelessness. And I know that you mentioned earlier, um, you know, there might be a background in with mental health illnesses, addictions, um, you know, domestic violence. But what are what are some of these root causes that you you both identified when you were going through this book, um, and in other words, how did we get to where we are now? You know, so I think it's a combination of system failures, 
either inadequate um, or non-existent systems, like in um, the, the absence of um, addiction treatment services, or the failure of things like addiction treatment services or mental health services um, or public safety interventions to deal with domestic violence. Um, and when those systems fail, if you think about it, they're, you know, they're serving people who are very vulnerable. And um, oftentimes they've been, you know, in a, in a need for services for a long time. And, um, and systems can either um, not function super effectively or super efficiently despite best efforts. And sometimes they're just rationing services. And like, if you're the pain in the butt client who just like refuses to cooperate and you got 10 people standing outside the door who are begging to get in and will cooperate, you got to make choices about who's the best um, uh, person at that point in time to receive services. So there's a lot of push out out of um, out of service systems. And so those kind of, you know, the, the, the tough ornery or just less capable individuals to manage themselves through bureaucracies fall out of the bottom of these various systems. And then what you have is you have family and friends that are also kind of just burnt out, right? It's like, um, you know, how many, I've had colleagues, friends, you know, people I know, and they're like, I'm sorry, you know, my son, I just can't take him anymore. He's ruining our, our, our entire house. He's ruining our life. I cannot let him back. What can you do to help me get him into a shelter, get him into supportive housing? And so like families, it, you just, you know, families, entire families can be really um, shattered by the, the presence of a really, really tough individual and they love them, but they just can't sacrifice the rest of the family. And so in many ways, what you see in the um, people who do become homeless are, you know, they're falling out of these either inadequate or, um, you know, not enough services or poorly run services. Um, and they're finding themselves um, on the street and, um, and then the other, you know, then, then you get to the point, okay, so if it's, if it's really the failure of multiple systems, but the solution also requires those very systems to address the problem that needs to be addressed in order to overcome the homelessness, you can't do it unless you get to the people who are providing those services to the table, talking to each other and agreeing to address the very failures that generated the homelessness in the first place, which means they've got to say, I understand that it's my problem to solve, that I am a contributor to this problem and that I am fundamental to the solution. And they've got to commit to like working together with other people and other systems and, and kind of smoothing out all of those, those naughty bureaucratic rules that, that, that make, you know, system mismatches in order to, to, to better integrate and match. And so it's not just about addressing and fixing the failed systems. It's also about constant collaboration and getting people to talk together and work and own the problem as if it is their own problem. And because um, yeah, otherwise you're just not going to get to solutions. And then that's where the homeless providers, you know, the, you know, there's, and it's so interesting. I, I, we say this in the book, homelessness as an issue itself is homeless. There's no, in many jurisdictions, in some, in some countries, they, you know, in the, in the U.S., there's no federal agency for homelessness. 
there's a there's a stream of money that address homelessness, but it's attached to HUD and it's a, a housing urban development, but it's it's minuscule compared to the problem. And um, in some countries, you have the national commitment to homelessness, but it only deals with a certain aspect of it. So, like in the UK, the national government has responsibility for homelessness, but that's to provide shelter. And so they have shelters, they bring people into shelters, they manage shelters. But if they're on the if you're on the street and you're not knocking on a shelter door, that's not the national government's problem. And so that's where the issue of homelessness being homeless, no one really owns it falls on the mayor's lap because that's the mayor is the closest to the residents of the city and the residents say damn it mayor when are you going to fix this problem of homelessness you know you're you told us you were going to make a better city and how come you haven't fixed it yet and so then the mayor is left with this ginormous complicated issue that is feeds from um, the private, you know, nonprofit sector, from the federal and state level, and it's left up to the mayors to to figure out how to get all these people to the table and commit to this joint effort of overcoming homelessness. So Linda described very well the the structural and uh, and individual level and, and interpersonal level uh, determinants uh, that that impact homelessness, that cause homelessness. And, uh, and the recipe is slightly different in all these different cities that, that are described in the book. And it could be that, you know, that, 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 the, that there is no national housing system in Mexico City to, to, to rehouse people living on the street. And that, there, you know, that, that substance use and mental health uh, are, are pervasive in, in all of these cities, but, but the actual problems are, are different. In, in Bogota, they're you know, smoking something called basuco, which is a kind of free base cocaine but in mexico city they're inhaling it's young people inhaling solvents and 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 in the u.s it might be you know white male middle-aged uh, uh middle-agers drinking and so like the recipe could be different uh in, in in different places but but she describes it uh pretty well but but the challenge is you know when you have those different recipes are you going to have similar solutions Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.